0: Keep Rainman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging one to ten dollars a month. Go to patreoncom Digital to pledge. Warning: From the back to tank contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander. But you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a matter of royal to help and heal wounded. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. All right, hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the back to tank. This is the Bad Batch edition. I am Michael Flores, your host, and in the back to waters with me, enjoying the healing waters, is David.
1: Hello. Hello, everybody.
0: All right. So today we're going to get into this episode, uh, the most recent episode, episode three of the inaugural season titled Replacements, directed by Nathaniel Villanueva and written by Matt Michinovitz, which both gentlemen are Dave Filoni alumni. They sure. are from his. Rolodex of talent that he uses pretty much in all of his projects. So the synopsis, the batch gets stuck on a desolate moon. Very simplistic.
1: Very simplistic.
0: Now, in just three episodes, this series is more than I had hoped for. And listen, I'm not being hyperbolic. There's a maturity to the series in both tone and in quality. And I know some people are like, oh, it's so mature because of the violence. Fuck the violence. It's the quality and the tone. This is Dave Filoni at his best. All the years working on Clone Wars, Rebels, and now The Mandalorian as executive producer, it has all paved the way for this series. This series is an example of an experienced talent that has honed his skills. And that's what we're getting now with the team he created. Because as we know, he's not the showrunner. Jennifer, what's her name? Uh, Bennett Corbett. Jennifer Corbett's the showrunner, but she is his protege, and Dave Filoni is a creative producer. So what we're getting is we're getting everything he's learned over the last how many years? Fifteen years. That's what he's putting into this series.
1: Yeah, and that's the that's the amazing thing is like, I mean, me and you touched on it in the last episode. Is like we're starting to see a really a really uh, reminder of like how big the production is now compared to like clone wars i mean the quality is just stellar at the, at this point we've we've gushed about the lighting the use of lighting the use of actual film techniques yeah it's cinematic it's cinematic
0: now yeah we saw a glimpse of this in the final season of clone wars uh, you know especially those last four episodes that in my opinion is probably some of the best star wars we've been given in in over a decade in my opinion those last four episodes And I'll say this now, judging by the content and the direction uh, that the myth arc is taking, this series has the potential to delve into the intricacies of the cloned army and what it means from an ethical perspective. Sure, at surface, this is a, you can call it a superficial show, but there are things being dropped that are being embedded. He's taking a page from Lucas. If you look at the uh, prequel trilogy... That trilogy is littered with amazing politics. Just the world building and how it works and operates is fantastic. And now we have similar notes that Filoni is utilizing for this series, bringing about, you know, uh, bringing to the surface topics pertaining to war, uh, post-war, how soldiers deal with that, divisions within society they are already posing questions. So not only is there a maturity factor in quality and tone, but this could be the series that shows that Star Wars could be so much more than just simply B-film style fun. Now, B-style film fun is fantastic, and I never want Star Wars to change, but that doesn't mean you can't dress it with something with a little substance.
1: Yeah. I mean, just just for example... Take for example this particular episode synopsis. I mean, you you hit it on the head. It's a relatively easy synopsis. The crew of Bad Batch get stranded on the on a desert moon and have to figure out how to get out. Yeah, right? The plot is simple. Simple. Yeah. But when you actually take a look at the story and how everything is layered, there's so much more being told just through the technique of like how they tell the story. You know, telling the story paralleling the story of Omega getting used to being with the bad batch and then you have um oh my god i forgot his name the 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 Hunter? one no no the one uh, that's with the empire crosshair crosshair mm. and you have crosshair having to deal with basically being on the empire and having to become commander of his own essentially his own squad right and I'm like, oh, you parallel the two because it's a parallel between Omega and and uh, Crosshair at that time. How they're both integrating into it, and how one is more natural than the other. The other one is forced, and you see the ramifications of of that. And it's something that Faloni has done throughout, even throughout Rebels, to show the problem with the Empire is there is no camaraderie or brotherhood that keeps everyone together. Everyone is just forced into it and there's no, there's no payoff. There's nothing yeah. that sticks everyone together. And then they basically treat each other as just as the empire does numbers.
0: You're talking about the agent callous aspect, right?
1: And yes. Rabble- yeah. You're right. Yeah. And he carries on that theme still into this. And now it's, now we get to see it not just from Ka- like when it was callous, it was being shown overall as a officer, right? Mm -hmm. But now we're going to get to see it through the soldiers point of view. How do they view the soldiers?
0: It's pretty smart. I'm enjoying what they're doing. I feel like there's a lot of thought going on within the subtext. Sure. The plot is going to be simple. It's always going to be simple. This is star Wars and it needs to be easily digestible for the younger audiences, but that doesn't mean you can't put, you know, strong notes of, uh, of, uh, you know, philosophy, uh, politics. There's a lot you can do with the world of Star Wars, and honestly, it's ripe for the picking. Like it's there, it the world is there, and there are so many stories that have been set up uh, that have potential to really harvest some great storylines. And it feels like Filoni is in fact going to do that with this series. I mean, Bad Batch is in the unique position and it obviously is doing this to be the series that finally fully explores the inhibitor chip and all the questions of ethics that comes with that. The inhibitor chip is something that many of us Star Wars fans have always been enamored with and has never been fully discussed or fleshed out. It's just, hey, there's a chip and it controls them. And there was a few episodes in the Clone Wars that did explore and delve into it, um, but not like this. To where your myth arc is essentially built around
1: that concept. That one too was the fact that person was the one who basically says the rebel, the rebellion never did anything for me. They never helped me out. And it, it helped really put into the framework that I think anyone, any Star Wars fan who's been watching this building of this new era of Star Wars, we've been seeing this breadcrumbs to show that basically the rebellion is not all halos and uh, halos and good guys. It's wartime. It's right
0: wartime now. period. There is no, I'm going to get out of this scenario unscathed. Like unscathed. you're, you're going to leave this war with blood on your hands. That That's what, one of the things that I absolutely love and we're going off topic just a bit, but one of the, the things I love absolutely about the Disney era, and it started with Lucas a bit and Filoni, is the exploration into the mistakes that the good guys made. Like, that's what Disney has done since 2012. They continued a a small thought that was embedded uh, when Lucas was a part of Clone Wars and within some of the books that are now retconned. And, sure, they're not evil. They're not bad people. But mistakes were made. That's, That's the whole point. That's why we have... This new era of enlightenment that the book series, what's it called, Dave? No, High Republic. High Republic. That's why we have the High Republic now, because they're trying to contrast what it truly means to be enlightened as a galaxy under the leadership of the government and the guardians of peace and justice, the Jedi. And you contrast that with what the Jedi were in the prequels. They're good people, but obviously they made a few mistakes getting involved politically. But that's the genius of Darth Sidious, you know, Palpatine, because he pushed them into a no-win situation. He pushed them and nudged them and created the environment for war that they couldn't escape. They had to take part. So this entire series, The Bad Batch, just falls in line with that thought, exploring the nuances of politics and war and Good guys versus bad guys, but also explaining why people make certain decisions. Uh, Dave, you mentioned that mentioned the Trooper and the Rebellion, how the Rebellion never did anything for him. This is very similar to the only good things that was uh, included in that terrible TV show titled Star Wars Resistance that I absolutely <laughs> hated. The only Star Wars thing that I ever Oh, it's a fucking horrible. <laughs> it is the worst show ever. The cr- it's, the, it's the falling and the, the crashing mic. David, it is awful. And I will never, I wish I can, you know, wash that show out of my memory. Cause it's just bleach it right out. <laughs> awful. But the thing that they did do right was they were exploring very similar things with Tam and um, what's that dumbass's name? Kaz. Kaz with Kaz and Tam. <laughs> one believed in the empire because it gave their family work during the war the other one believes in the the republic because of what they stand for ham said in resistance she said i never witnessed any of that all i ever saw was the good things they did what are you talking about exactly and which that makes perfect sense the empire may went to great lengths if you read all the stuff pertaining to star wars within the books and comics they went to great lengths to hide Many of the horrible things they have done through the lens of propaganda, which brings us right back to Bad Batch. Showrunner Jennifer Corbett and Filoni are going to, and I'm telling you now, this is what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, recontextualize this entire aspect in a way that we will never see things the same way again. Just like what the prequels did for the original trilogy. It made you look at everything differently and what the clone wars did for the prequels it made you look at those films differently with a new eye of uh of excitement because you're like wow there's so many layers going on and they're going to do this politically too the the earlier seasons of the clone wars uh more so than the later seasons were very much you know a homage to the propaganda wartime theatrical reels you know selling the american people on the war effort but there are two sides to propaganda. Typically, the word propaganda, you know, typically comes with negative connotations, but it's not always negative. Clone Wars used it as a way to sell the idea of brotherhood amongst the clones and patriotism to the Republic. And Bad Batch is exploring the aftermath, the other side of propaganda, the underbelly of propaganda, and the many parallels to Nazi Germany. And yes, even dare I say, the United States post-World War II. Uh, The Tarkin Initiative is (laughs) the sinister underbelly of propagandic strategy, brainwashing, mind control, which is very similar to the MKUltra experiments that were performed by the U.S. government on human subjects, many of which were illegal.
1: Yeah. Dude, I love how... They took two characters in Tarkin and Rampart and, at, and the, their conversations of how they, so good. how they deem the clones and how Rampart basically, he kind of sees the value in the soldiers, but he also sees them as expendable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like going, it is so dark how basically like that's how the Empire works. They don't care. It's almost very like corporate. Well, that's how most <laughs> That's how most
0: governments that are authoritarian, authoritarian or, or run yeah. with dictators, they don't view people as people. They view people as property. That's the whole idea of communism. That's why they say you don't have an identity. You're not an individual because you are one with the empire. Are you not happy that you are one with us? Everything we do is for the good of this beautiful government that works for everyone, all you have to do is sign here and say you no longer have an identity.
1: Here's your designation. And, dude, I love the fact that because there's little subtle, subtle things they've been doing that really pushes that idea forward. Like when Crosshairs Crosshairs gets out of the, the programming area and automatically they don't refer to them as Crosshairs. They say designation. Exactly. Your designation, such and such. You're not called crosshairs. Yeah. And I'm like, going, they're starting to show that basically the reason why the empire was so powerful was because they got people to buy in and become part of the machine.
0: It's a page from any government that is trying to control their people. This is what they do. And it's sad, you know, real world for a second. It's sad that it always works because it does. It It does always fucking works. Never fails. Yeah. Because a lot of people are trusting a government. Oh, they give me jobs. Oh, they give me food. And because of that, we tend to trust these governments and we don't look at what they're actually doing. And with the crosshair aspect, I mean, dude. Okay. So let's go back to last episode. Dealing with that whole thing again and the nefarious nature of getting rid of people's identities. I mean, look at look at what Tech said in the last episode. Um, What was the exact wording? He said people, we all wanted names and now we're lining up for numbers. For numbers. (laughs) It's what happens. It's what happens. Uh, Another thing we see happening with a series that really works goes right hand in hand with what you were just saying, David, and it really works for me is the, and I, I, it's really early on, but I would probably say this is more than likely. This is going to be the heart of the story. And it's, it's about that fallen brotherhood and the idealistic way that uh, many of the clones viewed the Republic, specifically in this case, the bad batch and having crosshair be one of the villains is exactly why all of this works to see the ideological divisions between him and his former brothers in arms, it's going to be a tearjerker. It's not going to end well. It's not. It can't. Especially after what we saw (laughs) in this episode. They're willing to kill innocent people. Exactly. So, and I'm glad Filoni did this and Jennifer Corbett, because you know what that does for the audience? Nothing's off limits. Now we we're on the edge of our seats. If they're willing to show People in a Star Wars TV show get wiped out like that. Unarmed civilians. Yes. That suddenly raises the stakes for and the it, audience. And because dude, it, you're just sitting there wondering, okay, well, what the fuck else is going to happen now?
1: It's not just the fact that they took out civilians. It was the brutality that they took them out with. I mean, they just didn't shoot them. You got to remember, one of them was wielding a flamethrower. So essentially, <laughs> they... They burned so them alive up. and shot them at the same time. Yeah. And I'm like going, well,
0: that's brutal. Well, is it humane then? Because the one who burned them is probably the monster. And the one who
1: shot them, <laughs> shot put them out of their the misery. misery.
0: So there's, an, there's definitely an argument to be made, Dave. I'm not justifying shooting. Just calm down. <laughs> okay. So at first I'm like, okay, this is Star Wars. This is Disney. This is Lucasfilm. It's going to end on a happy note. Uh, Crosshair. I'm not uh, forget uh, Anakin dying in lava for a second because that was awful. But was I'm saying, awful. in general, Star Wars ends. <laughs> Star Wars ends with with you know happiness and 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 a well, sense of optimism.
1: I don't know, Mike. Not, I don't know. Rebels. Rebels set the tone. I mean, come on. Because I've heard that too. I've heard that. You know, it's Disney and Star Wars. But I'm like go ahead, think of myself. We've been through so many moments now with Clone Wars and Rebels where we see that they are not afraid to do like. The, the tear-jerking moment. I mean, like, I remember when we covered Rebels, you came in, and you said you teared up yeah, when Kanan up. died. No, I didn't. Babe. Because, I didn't like, when, when, they're not afraid of killing their characters off, no. as long as it means something.
0: It, yeah, it has to, it has to matter. It's th- we're three episodes in, and I feel I like anything can, happen, anything can happen. I love that we're talking so much about it, because that should tell you how multi-layered this series is, because of the discussions that we're having right now. Uh, but I I want to know: Did you notice that Crosshair isn't happy? that, yeah. that was fairly obvious. Oh yeah,
1: me. okay. Right so, from a get go, right when he sits down, he it's like he's like he's by himself. He looks at all the remnants of his his squad. That is part of it, I would agree. But I I'm wondering, I'm
0: wondering if there's more to it because you get the impression that he's not totally disconnected from his humanity. Now, following orders is embedded via the inhibitor chip. Right? Yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's enjoying what is happening. He might actually hate himself for doing it. It doesn't change his feelings. It makes him listen and comply. And comply. That's the thing. That's the difference. Now, I'm assuming that. And I'm wondering if that's the next thing we're going to learn. How depressing would that be if we find out that the troopers don't actually like what they're doing? that they actually despise everything they're doing but they can't help it it's part of the programming they just do it
1: well dude we already know from the end of uh, clone wars we yeah. know that rex rex was scarred after that because he came to he came yeah. he realized he was under control and remember there were times when he basically said i knew what i was doing and it bothered him and th- It wouldn't surprise me if, like, basically the clones... That's a dark story. That's a dark story. That is a dark story. When you basically are just doing something and you can't control yourself, it's, it's really, really goes into really dark storytelling when it comes to doing mind control stuff like that. Well, forcing it's you're taking away someone's agency.
0: I mean, that's, that's never a good time. That's a, that's you're being violated.
1: It's a violation of free will. Yeah.
0: And, and, and essentially, well, sometimes that might be a good time.
1: What, what I think is happening with crosshairs. Now it caught me. Till I actually started talking, but it didn't get me till actually that moment that you were talking about where he goes into the room and for, for for really subtle purposes, you see this moment when he looks over, he sees the scratches of Hunters, he looks at the bunks of Tech and Wrecker, and then he, sit, he sits down at his, and it's completely empty. It's completely barren. Like, it, it's such a stark reminder of where they're going, or, or Because he's what he's chosen, he's chosen basically or being forced to be a compliant soldier. This is the price that you have to pay. You have no individuality. You do not have any ties. And like, it'll be interesting to me that like, is he going to really get connected to this new squad? I mean, he's already killed one. (laughs) He didn't seem to have any problems shooting... The one that didn't want to comply and wanted to kill the uh, kill the other uh, civilians, he's not gonna he's not gonna actually build any ties to the current squad that he's got, and like instead, when you do when you see the parallel of the other guys, they're building this this relationship with Omega, and they're learning from it. They're getting there's there's a tighter bond that's growing between them, and then with crosshairs it's just like he's getting further further away and losing more of his identity.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So we've got more on this Camino mystery. Uh the Caminoans are up to
1: something. Dude, I'm liking these characters. I
0: really like this I because like this. I have always thought that the the planet of Camino and its inhabitants have just not been explored enough. Yeah. And sure, there is something to be said about mystery and keeping something for our imaginations. But come on, we're dealing with the very people that cloned the cloned army. And there's a story to be told there because we don't really know whatever happened to them. There has been some things that are still canon. Some of it has been retconned where they uh, allude to the fact that they they went into hiding post-war. They went back to their earlier ways of life, which was to remain private. They're not necessarily, I wouldn't call them xenophobic, but they do prefer to keep to themselves based on some books I've read. I don't remember which ones they were, and I don't remember if they were retconned.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. Now, here's the thing. Just like you said, we're seeing a really subtle dive more into the Kaminoans. We're seeing more of them. A lot of people have been wondering, are we going to see the full plan that was alluded to in the prequels? Okay, whose plan? sifo Because uh, sifo was the one who commissioned the clone army.
0: I, I, listen, that's always been a mystery. <laughs> exactly. They, they, they've, ex,
1: they've explored it a bit, After, and I believe sifo was, wasn't he crazy at this Sifo-Dyas point? sifo went mad. He was remember, cr- he, you gotta remember, sifo was very close with Count Dooku. Right. And if, if for people that haven't listened to the audiobook and everything, and it is considered which canon, Dave? which audiobook?
0: Uh, Jedi Lost, I forgot what it was, that's why I put you on the spot <laughs> <laughs> with, count,
1: <laughs> with Count Dooku and Saifa Dias. Yeah, amazing! I would, amazing like audio going, play. I was like thinking to myself, and sure enough, after this episode, I saw like people talking about it on the forum. Would we see Saifa Dias?
0: Oh man, David, stop. And I was like thinking to myself, I said, me way too excited, Dave.
1: After Jedi Lost, I'm, like, going, I want to see sifo at the end. Because it would it would unlock the biggest mystery of all the prequels for all fans. Oh, man. What the hell was the point of sifo actually making the Clone Army? Because, like, remember, in Jedi Lost...
0: Well, you get the idea he was simply a pawn towards the end.
1: No, no, no. Uh, you think. But remember, Jedi Lost... He was crazy, Dave. He went he crazy. Went, he went crazy, but he, he went mad seeing, like, the vision of the future. Right the reason why he went to the, to make the clone army was because of what he saw in his visions. Right. We know that the visions were not caused by, you know, Palpatine in Jedi lost. They were caused by something darker. Something <laughs> I believe, wasn't it connected to the high Republic? Yeah, it was something, it was something very dark. So well, it, Dave,
0: listen, we, we will see. There's definitely something brewing. There's definitely th- that, mystery that much we know. Uh, towards the end of the episode, the Kaminoans were discussing Tarkin's new fascination with the elite squad of conscripted soldiers and his plans to move away from their manufactured clones. And that has the Kaminoans concerned for many reasons. One big reason is because, of course, they this is their livelihood. Yes. Um, their clones might not remain up to snuff. It's because Jango Fett's DNA is degrading, degrading, which is actually a topic... Uh, for, I should say, a plot point that was in an episode of Clone Wars. So this is not new. We already knew that the DNA is degrading. So they're continuing that storyline or that aspect. Um, They say it's time to move on to the next phase of the plan. Yes. Creating a genetically superior clone who is not only a better military asset than regular clone troopers, but also better than whatever human soldiers Tarkin can find. Now, this is the element that has to be connected to Omega, right? It has to. Otherwise, what's her point? Yeah. I'm wondering if she is some type of, you know, weapon, you know, some secret weapon that's, you know, that hasn't been activated. Maybe she has her own inhibitor chip that activates her and turns her into this super weapon of some kind. Because if I want to say in the first episode, they had that conversation at the end when Omega left with a bad batch. And it wasn't a good thing that she left. Uh, the Kaminoans said, let's not say anything yet. Yeah. Until we know the Empire's intentions. So it's all about Omega when it comes to this this clone experiments that they're, that they're doing. It's only a matter of time. If Harkin or what's his name? Admiral Rampart. Rampart. If they catch wind of this, it's going to be all... It's going to be open season on Omega. If they find out what Omega is, Tarkin loves weapons. That's his whole thing. (laughs) That's his whole thing. That's the the Tarkin initiative. Everything about the weapons of the Empire is connected to him. So if he finds out that she's some type of super weapon. Oh, come on. He's He's going to do something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, It did feel like he was taking his bow, though. Like he was handing the reins off to animal rampart. So I don't think Tarkin is going to be an ongoing character. In no, this because I
1: th- because Tarkin is so, such an important character. I don't want I mean, him to no. be.
0: I don't want him to be exactly. He's needed like elsewhere. It's like Vader. Give me Vader once in a while, but don't let him linger for too long.
1: Because we all know that Tarkin has bigger plans. Yeah. that are In the horizon. So like passing the torch on to rampart, which I thought was actually a nice Nice switch because it also
0: gives us new characters. It gave which us is a, always it gave us a, welcome. a
1: new character, but a character that they really inserted masterfully to the point where it didn't bother me none. And I'm now I'm like going, okay, Admiral Rampart is on the same page with Tarkin, so Rampart is just as bad as him <laughs> yeah. because the way he see he sees the clones is basically, oh, they're they're an asset. That I can use. But I don't need all of them. I could sacrifice some of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, So. I love everything dealing with the clone. Troopers and the bad batch. And the imperial stormtroopers. I guess you can call them. The beginnings. I like it because. It's an area that we've always wondered. How did this transition happen? You know, as a Star Wars fan, that's oh it's something I've always wondered. How did the Empire transition from clones to conscripted troopers? I cannot say enough how exciting it is to get the to get these types of answers officially. Uh, there are uh, old retcon books that explored a bit, but not like this. And we're only at the beginning. And it's something that's always not bothered me. I didn't think it was bad, but it just made me question why and how things happen so quickly uh, if you look at the ending of Revenge of the Sith that moment where Tarkin and Vader are walking down the the ramp of the uh, or the platform of the star destroyer and we don't see any clones and we just see imperial officers I'm like well where did they come from where are the clones did you kill them did you line them up and shoot them well now we know that they're slowly phasing them out and we also know how we've gone or how we went from everyone having a personality and being an individual to being silent soldiers. I love it. I I love this series. I know you guys love Mandalorian. I don't hate it. This is a thousand times better than the Mandalorian in almost every fucking way. There is so there is so much thought behind the writing. It is not Mandalorian is fun. It's very superficial and it's just a good time. That's it. David.
1: Uh, I am actually going to go with a 90% too, because again, just to piggyback off of what you have stated, the production value of bad batch has really shown how much is going into this series. And it, to some, it might sound hyperbolic because we only got three episodes so far, but if you just were to take the time and take a look At all the subtle details that just show how much production is going into, into this. It boggles my mind. I mean, like everything looks, in the last episode, me and you have stated that it's starting to look more cinematic. It's, it's getting more, in this episode, it was getting more cinematic than even Mandalorian. Yeah. And, I agree with all of uh, what you guys, your assessment of Mandalorian, fun series. Yes, I enjoyed the hell of it. I still get goosebumps at the very end with Luke Skywalker. Yes. However, when it comes to substance and storytelling, that's when the, a series ramps it up and it, it goes past being a fan show and becomes actually legit TV programming or or streaming programming.
0: Yeah. Well, this feels like a show being taken seriously. seriously. And, and I yeah. don't want mandalorian fans to get mad at me i like the mandalorian uh, but you could still be honest about it and you are right about the um i forgot what train of thought jesus christ wow (laughs) that's that's awesome
1: the production value and everything oh the uh
0: okay the, the biggest difference that i've noticed right off the bat with the bad batch is the bad batch is trying to be True to Star Wars, but also be its own thing. Its own thing. I feel like John Favreau with The Mandalorian is trying to regurgitate things that we've all grown up and love to see in Star Wars.
1: They're basically getting an actual story that basically is well thought out by Filoni and his crew. And like the one thing this episode absolutely boggles my mind that... I don't think it's a lot of credit. I mean, among star Wars fans, he's, cre- he's, he's created like a, a big fan love for him is D Bradley Baker's work. D. Bradley Baker voicing every single one of the clones. He's even voicing Omega. He's voice. <laughs> I don't know if he's doing that. That would be <laughs> impressive. I, go- I, I wouldn't put it past him, <laughs> but, but he's a great talent, but I don't think he's that talented. But dude, if you see how he, t- how he voices Hunter Wrecker. And all the Clone 99, and yet he does it and gives them all individual quality to the point that you think that it's an, it's totally different cast people voicing all those characters. And it's like, no, that's just one dude.
0: <laughs> He's really good at his job.
1: He is fantastic yeah. at his job. And you're seeing this. Because you're just doing variations. And
0: that's not as easy as it may sound.
1: I mean, imagine, look at, look at the way he talks as Wrecker. Compared to how he talks as crosshairs. Yeah. Two completely separate characters. Yeah. Separate storylines. But... Uh, D. Baker's able to actually separate himself out to the point where we, we say, yeah, they're, they, they're supposed to sound similar, but they're Dude, totally different speech
0: characters. Speech patterns are different. The cadence is different.
1: I honestly think that at the end of this, end of this series, this is probably going to be... D. Bradley Baker's magnum opus. This is going to be his masterpiece because people will be looking at it going, how many characters did he have to voice? Seven million. <laughs> he had to voice uh, an entire cast by himself. Can you imagine being that voice
0: talent? Like it, it, you would never really be alone if he was a single man. Just always talk and have story, Just create an entire <laughs> world in, in his head. He,
1: he's George Lucas's favorite actor.
0: Yeah. Hey, listen, <laughs> he, I, I just
1: need one of you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So Dave, what's your score?
1: I'm giving this a ninety also.
0: Okay, that's right. All right. Well, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I do want to remind the listeners out there that we do have a Patreon page. If you head over to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital, you can pledge five dollars or more a month and you will gain access instantly to hundreds actually I think it might be thousands at this point, thousands of hours of additional Star Wars discussions that we do for Patreon subscribers, uh, comic book reviews, book reviews, uh, overflow shows, where we talk about topics that we didn't have time to get into during our regular update shows. So help yourself out, help us out. It's really the only way we can continue to do shows is through the support of our Patreon account. Patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. Thank you, David.
1: Thank you. May the force be with us. Oh,
0: yes.
1: Ah!